So no one should be surprised that the markets went off to the races, seeing these wholesale prices going up 0.2%, which was less than expected. Dear Lord, they'll do anything, anything to be excited, uh, they'll they'll do. Uh, We should note, however, this uh, connects to a story that shows household debt has soared at its fastest pace in 15 years as credit card usage surges. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Guys, good to be with you. See, it's not all about the election. Don't worry. I have got plenty of election breakdown stuff for you, especially these Arizona numbers. Holy mick crap. Uh, I, John Gabriel uh, with uh, uh, the Arizona Republic and Ricochet, uh, we're going to talk to him to break this stuff down. But we should focus on these wholesale prices, 0.2%. And what does it mean? Because that's, again, the, this top-line kind of reporting. They look at 0.2% instead of what was predicted at the 0.4%. You see, they say, you see, everything's great. It's terrific. But is it great? Is it terrific? What lies underneath? Dr. Matt Will joins me right now. Economist, the University of Indianapolis, D-R-M-A-T-T-W-I-L-L. Dr. Matt Will on the Twitter box. 0.4 was expected. 0.2 is the result. The question is, is this good? Is this bad? And is this the whole story? Well, Tony, you said it. The headline is good. In fact, we've had four consecutive months now of this trending down. This is very good headlines. The head, you can't beat this headline. And you're going to hear the headline on a whole bunch of major networks. But, Tony, you need to read the report. The two most important elements are goods. Goods are the stuff you buy, Tony. You go to the store, you buy it. And energy. It's what you put in your gas tank and heat your home. Those two items annualized, I always do the annualized money, 7.2% increase in goods, 32% increase in energy. Let me say that again, Tony. 7.2% increase in goods last month, 32% in energy. The two things that you care about in your life, everything else is decent, Tony, but the two things you spend most of your money on is buying stuff and heating your home and driving your car. Those are in bad shape. So the headline's good, Tony. But the details, people are going to go and they're going to still see their pocketbook hurting. I'm right now on the BLS site. I'm looking at the producer price index news release summary that happened today. I want you to walk me through this. Show me what I'm looking at here because what I see in this October 2022 number Change in final demand from 12 months ago, 8%. Change in final demand, less foods, energy, and trade from 12 months ago, 5.4%. So where are you getting these numbers on the energy and the other things? If you, okay, so people, if they go to the bls.gov website, they'll see this table at the top of the report. Energy at the bottom, October, says 2.7% for the month. 2.7% for the month, Tony. Do you see that? Yep. Okay, just multiply up by twelve, Tony. So uh, I think you did that. I gotta take off my shoes. I gotta take off. Yeah, thank goodness I have an (laughs) abacus close by. uh, So I just carry the three. That's thirty-two point four. That's thirty-two point four. Yes, Tony. One month. One month. Thirty-two point four percent annual increase in inflation for energy. And then look at total goods. Total goods, or just do food. Let's just do food. I think everybody. That's point five. Fair assumption. Foods is 0.5. Yep, that comes to 6%, Tony. That comes to 6% annualized. 
You're telling me that that much of an increase in one month won't hurt people. I don't care what the headline says, Tony. You're still paying more for your Thanksgiving dinner. So when the president comes out and says something about, oh, Thanksgiving is cheaper, Thanksgiving, oh, it's so much. No, it's not, Tony. This month alone, 6% annualized increase, and the money it costs you to go visit your friends for Thanksgiving, your family, 32%. So now, wait a second. Let's go back a couple months in foods. I'm going to go back to July because July it was up 1.3. In August, it was down 0.1. In September, it was up 1.3. And in October, it's up 0.5. So it it seems that we had this while of going positive, negative, positive, negative. And now we've had two months in a row of positive. That does give me more concern than feel good about what we're looking at. Yeah, Tony, and, and let, me, let, me, let me dive into this a little bit more. Let me explain the headline versus the details. The Federal Reserve Board controls the headline. They control the big picture. The Fed is doing their job. Good for Jerome Powell, way to go. The details are controlled by the administration. President Biden is the one who can control the spending of the government. He's the one who can influence permits for energy, drilling for oil. He's the one who can control supply chain issues. He controls those two numbers, Tony. So we talked, how many, how many months have we been talking about Biden versus Powell? And the Biden is looking bad and the Powell is looking good. Talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis, Dr. Matt Will on the Twitter box. So we are 6% annualized, half percent up in food. We are 30, what was that number? 32%? 32. 32.4% annualized, up 2.7 on energy, yet the overall is only 0.2% versus 0.4, and that's got people excited. Now let's take this and extrapolate it, take it out of the markets and take it into the real world. We've seen Meta shed 11,000 jobs. We have seen uh, a lot of other tech companies losing jobs. We're putting hiring freezes on. We're hearing about Amazon uh, losing 10,000 jobs. And you have people, whether it's the Jamie Diamonds of the world or others talking about recession 2023. Which one are people supposed to look at? What the markets are cheering or what the those in the marketplace are doing? Uh, Tony, they should look at neither. They should get in their car, fill up their tank, and buy their food. And let that be the deciding factor for how they feel. And they'll see exactly what we're talking about. You argue that Jerome Powell, chairman of the Federal Reserve, is doing all the right things. This aggressive approach has worked and that uh, you've also argued that while it may slow down, there is still going to be a need for an aggressive approach. We have heard Jerome Powell say he is not going to make the mistakes of former Fed Chair Paul Volcker. He is not going to wait. He is going to hammer down until this inflation is done. And then you've had people double down on that, whether it be Larry Summers, uh, the former Treasury Secretary, or others talking about the idea that you have to have a federal funds target of 6% as opposed to the 4.6, 4.8 that the Federal Reserve is right now. You've also discussed the battle between uh, Jerome Powell, which is the Federal Reserve, and the White House, which is really the Democratic Party and the concept of spending. Now that you have a Congress, the House of Representatives, which seems to be uh, in the hands now, just one vote away, uh, well, it could could have changed all by by now, of of being in Republican (laughs) hands, you have the opportunity for gridlock. Does gridlock make Jerome Powell see things differently? I know it'll make the markets very happy. Will it make Jerome Powell happy? 
I think he has he will wait and see. My hope is yes. He he is hoping that gridlock will prevail. But I don't I don't know, Tony, because will the Republicans succeed in creating gridlock or will they cave in like they often do when they're hammered by the media? I don't know the answer to that question. You would know it better than me. You're the media expert. Will they stand their ground or will they cave in? I don't know. Well, I, 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 you know, I've been discussing this, and I will get more into it today. Uh, the idea that what's going to happen is Republicans are going to say, well, look, we've got too much spending, and we have to not spend on this and that. And Democrats are going to say, well, my gosh, look at Republicans. They're going to shut down the government because they won't raise the debt ceiling, and they won't spend on this. Or look at the government project. They're going to cut. Look how it's going to affect minorities. They're always going to play that game, and there are no Republicans who will stand up and say, shut up up you liars just shut your mouth which by the way that person gets to be the next president in my view dr will and that's how that's how i i i do these things so there is going to be immense pressure but could it be that the fed is willing to support some of those kinds of cuts will the fed get involved in this and say hopefully this means there will be a reduction in spending do they ever talk like that and uh could there could there be better times ahead or what do we maybe separate from this conversation what do we think are the better times ahead if we just stay on this path with the federal reserve okay <laughs> you, you you had a lot in that statement slash question um but i will tell you this the fed has said in the last few months very politely in their wording that they are concerned about fiscal stimulus being too much they say it very politely in that way. And yes, they have weighed in and they continue to weigh in, but they're very judicious in how they say it. You're not answering my question. I think you're doing that on purpose. <laughs> you, you, you're a smart, you're a very smart guy, Tony. See what he did there? Is there any chance that Jerome Powell is willing to say, hey, while we we do have to stop this spending, you do have to slow it down. Or is he not going to get involved in that at all? He's just he he's going to pretend like there's nothing he can do about that, and he's only going to play his game. No, Tony, he has said it. If you go back and read their statements, he has said it, but he said it in a very polite manner because he knows that he has no real control over it. So no, he he will not be no he will not get on a bully pulpit. He will not go up and say they've got to shut down fiscal policy. We keep doing our best, but we keep losing ground because of what they're doing. He's not going to say that. That's not his style, and it's not the Fed's style, even though they indicate it in their polite statements. Food is up. Energy is up. The overall is down a touch. The things that affect Americans every day are still a problem. Is there anything that you're seeing on the horizon? Is there any movement that you're seeing, whether it be some of those tech stocks uh, and tech companies I've talked about or other things happening on the small business side, things happening on an inventory side. There was a whole conversation about Walmart actually seeing a change in their inventories, removing that glut that they had, which could be seen as a very, very good move. That shows us some promise for the economy short term, or that shows us that these people who've been talking about recession 2023 are accurate. No, I, I, th- I think that you see both, Tony. And I know you, we don't like to hear that, but the, my number one go-to report is the uh, Purchasing Manager's ISM report. That thing comes out every month. It's a real world, not a government report. And they show new orders shrinking, but they see production up. Employment is flat, but declining. They see deliveries down, inventories growing. 
So it's like this thing is full of schizophrenia. Half the report is good and half the report is recession indicating. It's, it's, Tony, it's a very crazy environment, numerically speaking, in the economy. It makes no sense. I, on this, we don't disagree, sir. Dr. Matt Will, economist, University of Indianapolis. I appreciate taking the time to be with us. So much more to get to and everything at TonyCats.Locals.com. This is Tony Katz today. Eight billion people. I, we should note, that's a crazy number. Eight billion people in the world. And half of them are Nick Cannon's kids. Screw you, that's a good joke. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, what's going on? The story out that Nick Cannon was married to Mariah Carey, Nick Cannon, uh, an actor, Nick Cannon, a comic, Nick Cannon, he's got a TV show, Wild and Out. Kids made some cat, kid, he's in his 40s, I think, made some money, made some money in, in his life. It's kind of stunning, actually, really is stunning, what it is that that he has built. He's got 11 kids, I think, working on 12 right now. And there was this estimate from uh, the U.S. Sun that that he spends in child support every year $3 million. $3 million in child support. And uh, he's 42, by the way. And his quote is, I definitely spend a lot more than that on all my children annually. Um, And then he goes, I don't plan to ever have to participate in the governmental system of child. I don't, I swear to you, I don't know what that means in the slightest. I have no clue what that means at all. Now I understand why this guy works so much. Going on kid number 12. You're paying more than 3 million a year in child support? Ooh. Honestly, I uh, I'm not willing to accept the idea that the sex is that good. I'm just I'm just not, no. Wait, is that not allowed? You're not allowed to have that conversation. What? What I say? What I say? What's the problem? What's the oh oh? You're all you're all prudes. You really and truly are. Uh, it's not the only thing going on. I was very happy to hear. That an appeals court uh, keeps the Biden student do- uh, student debt plan on hold. This a three-judge panel from the 8th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in St. Louis. This comes just a few days after this judge in Texas blocked the program. The appeals court saying it usurped Congress's power to make laws. That's been the entire argument. The president, the executive branch cannot engage spending that comes from congress that comes from congress so what joe biden is attempting to do here he's attempting to put together a spending plan by telling people you don't have to pay back your loans if you don't have to pay back the loan it was no longer a loan it was a spending program and the president can't do that and i am i am thrilled thrilled to see that there, there's finally some willingness to engage a confrontation of the powers of, of the presidency. Because this idea that the president is some kind of um, all-knowing, all all-good, can, can do anything, say anything, 
No, there are, there are absolutely positively rules. And I'm thrilled, overjoyed to, to see that there was some, some movement here in the recognition that Biden can't get away with this. And I only hope it sticks. Because you never know. You never know if the thing is, is, is going to, to stick. You never know if the thing is going to hold. It is my hope, my sincerest, sincerest hope that it sticks. Because what Biden is, is doing is absolutely, positively wrong. Uh, also wrong to be overseas. And why in the world are you talking about U.S. elections? Why? Let me start with a few words about the recent elections held in the United States. What we saw was the strength and resilience of the American democracy, and we saw it in action. And the American people prove once again that democracy is who we are. And there was a strong rejection of election deniers at every level from those seeking to lead our states and those seeking to serve in Congress. And all- if I question what happened in Pennsylvania in 2020 because the judiciary usurped the authority of the legislative, am I an election denier? And this is how you speak about Americans overseas? Never forget, Joe Biden is unpopular, and that has not changed a single solitary ounce. Super duper unpopular. Oh, he also said he doesn't think there's enough votes to uh, codify uh, or codify Roe v. Wade. I'm sorry, what? You don't think you're going to be able to get Roe v. Wade into law and pass it uh, through Congress? Huh. Huh. I I wonder how people are going to react to that. I I will bring more to that story tomorrow. I I promise. Keep it here. TonyCats.locals.com. This is Tony Katz today. So the numbers are in in the state of Arizona, and being an Arizona State Sun Devil myself, I can tell you I have no idea what the bloody hell I'm looking at. Carrie Lake losing to Katie Hobbs? Katie Hobbs, who refused to debate? Katie Hobbs, who is a fool based on her own words and presentation? Katie Hobbs, who inspires absolutely nothing but, wait, Really? That's our Secretary of State? Because she is the Secretary of State of Arizona, and now it would seem she is the governor-elect. There still may be some challenges. There still may be a recount. But everything that happened in Arizona is a problem. Everything that happened in Maricopa County, where Phoenix is, is a problem. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, good to be with you. And when you take a look at those vote totals, the people who scream, well, it's fraud. Well, they've got an argument in my view. I don't know if they're correct, but they have the argument, and it's all Maricopa County's fault. John Gabriel joins us right now. He is the editor-in-chief of Ricochet.com, and he's also a columnist at the Arizona Republic. And you've got the numbers up there over at Ricochet.com, the latest numbers that were dropped last night, coming at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m., uh, 7 p.m., I think, where, where you are uh, right yep. now. What did this last drop have in it? How uh, impossible is it for Carrie Lake to make up a difference? And what do these numbers tell you? Well, um, they've been weird this year, to be sure. First off, um, yeah, fix your darn vote counting, Arizona. My gosh, this is crazy. It was a debacle uh, two years ago. It's a debacle yet again. And I'm sorry, they can count all the votes in a country like Brazil in three hours. I, I think we can figure it out for just one state. Um, so that 
um, reduces people's trust in it to begin with. So they're dripping and drabbing out these votes. And in the past, it's always been these last votes get more and more Republican-leaning as they go. That didn't happen as strongly this time. So you would have like, and every every night another count would come out. So Saturday, people were expecting Carrie Lake to get 60%. She would get 52%. The next night, they'd expect Carrie to get 60, 65%. And she would get about 55%. So it just kept kind of underperforming. So she has gained over the past few days, but it hasn't been enough for her to catch up. So last night you had, on Monday night, you had national networks calling the race for Hobbs. Statistically, um, there's still a chance. Like you say, there could end up being a recount. But right now, just in the bare numbers, Carrie Lake would need of the outstanding vote, probably about 75% of those votes. Is it possible? Yes. Is it likely? Not really. So um, this is a race. The polls had Carrie Lake in the lead um, the last month. As you noted, uh, Katie Hobbs is just an atrocious candidate. And if she is elected as governor, she will be terrible. And I'll have to live with that. Well, let's let's take a let's take a step back for for a moment, John, talking to John Gabriel of the Arizona Republic, the editor in chief of Ricochet dot com. Let's talk about why it took so long to count these votes, because the answer of, hey, get it together, Arizona is true, but it's not going to happen. Obviously, this is absolutely unacceptable. How did this happen? How, what can the people do about it? Because the Secretary of State right now is Katie Hobbs. She may very well be the governor. A Democrat seems to have been elected the next Secretary of State. Doesn't seem to me like they'll change anything. What happened? How does it get fixed? How does anybody do anything about this? First off, the people have to demand it gets fixed. Nothing. Politicians are not going to budge unless the people just out and out demand fixes. I'm sorry, Florida was a national joke in 2000. They fixed it. Now it just takes them a couple hours to canvas the whole state. Uh, The problem is, one thing, um, I compared Miami-Dade County in Florida, which is about two-thirds the size of Maricopa County, our largest county here in Arizona. Well, um, basically, Miami-Dade has, for every about 2,500 voters, they have a polling place. In Arizona, in Maricopa County, we have one polling place for over 20,000 voters. Basically, there are 10 times as many polling places in Miami-Dade County as there are in Maricopa County. And just expand that by the state. There are not enough polling places. And these poll workers do not have a sense of urgency. You know, they will be counting, and then it, uh, I don't know, the clock strikes 1130, and they're like, ah, that was a good day of work. See y'all at 10 a.m. tomorrow. No, you stay there and you count the votes. This happens every two years. You can pull a couple all-nighters. I also went to Arizona State, pulled a few all-nighters there. They can handle it. They're getting paid to do this. This is their job. Talking to John Gabriel of the Arizona Republic. There are people who are going to tell you that this is fraud. That this is fraud from beginning to end. You got to fix the fraud. You can't fix anything until you have the power. It can't be fixed, which is why I'm a believer in the all of the above strategy, uh, which is you got to be doing mail in voting. You got to be doing uh, vote uh, ballot curing. You got to be doing ballot harvesting. This is how the left does things. 
what to what extent do those things happen in Arizona? Because that question's been asked about Nevada, where they have the mail-in voting. By the way, so does Florida, yet Florida doesn't have these issues. But they have the ballot curing from the culinary union in Nevada and the ballot harvesting. What does Arizona have? Uh, we don't have a big history of the ballot harvesting, thankfully. But uh, once COVID hit, we got these stupid drop boxes. And I, I don't know. I, I don't trust them. They're just too much chance for fraud when you're dealing with these kind of things. There weren't too many of them. Uh, this is not a Democratic machine-controlled state. We don't have the huge unions like they do in the uh, Las Vegas area and Clark County. So we don't have to worry about that. But look, we got to keep, uh, as someone once said a long time ago, it's important to keep honest people honest. Assume the best of your opponents and make damn sure they cannot game the system and they can't cheat because um, any chance of shenanigans, all that does is reduce voters' trust in the system, and then you have a situation where voters just throw up their hands and say, why do I even bother? Um, That's why they need to fix this. That's why they need to be completely transparent about it instead of um, whining and complaining that, look, we're following state law, and this is just how it goes in Arizona. Well, it's not good enough. We pay you guys. We pay your salaries. Fix it. Now, one of the things that I have been looking at is the vote count, which you have up at ricochet.com. And I'm willing to accept the idea that this has happened before in other elections, but I would argue that it's rare. If we take a look at that governor's race and we take a look at the total number of votes Katie Hobbs has, and uh, Carrie Lake is within 22,000 votes uh, of of Katie Hobbs, Katie Hobbs has 1.265 million votes. But if you go down to the treasurer, Kimberly Yee, the Republican who won this race by 10 points, it shows that she has 1.363 million votes. The treasurer candidate has more votes by 100,000 than the the gubernatorial candidate. I'm sorry, I don't understand how that is remotely possible. And I think the people who are like, clearly there's something wrong here, can point to that and say, there's something really wrong here when the treasurer candidate has more votes than the governor candidate. Yeah, I'm thinking what happened here. Here's my working theory, at least. Okay, John McCain passed four years ago. Conservatives never trusted him. That's inside Arizona. It's outside Arizona as well because he betrayed conservatives consistently. Well, you have kind of the old guard in the state who still follow that line. They still like that maverick voting with the Democrats every other vote. That's what they like. That's what they're used to. Well, Kimberly Yee just kind of talked about fiscal responsibility. She does a great job. She didn't get into anything, any kind of cultural issues. She was just like, I'm going to protect the public fisc. You can trust me. I own a calculator. That's it. And she's a known quantity. So people are like, oh, yeah, she's inoffensive. I'm thinking what happened since the Masters campaign and the Kerry Lake campaign were criticizing McCain throughout, uh, criticizing John McCain and the whole McCain Republican side of things here. They were consistently insulting them for months instead of saying, hey, let's all be one big happy family and get together. Boy, all all Carrie Lake needed was less than 1% of the vote, and she would have taken this thing. And as bitter a pill as it is, and man, I can be uh, 
I was I was pretty darn anti McCain myself when he was running every six years. But um, man, you need every vote you can get, and I think that Kerry Lake especially just turned off just enough voters um, that she didn't win those people over. That someone who's kind of a you know a bog standard Republican, I'm going to be uh, fiscally responsible like Kimberly Yee. People knew who she was. She's been in state government a long time, and she's competent at what she does. They're like, oh, yeah, she's a boring Republican. I'll vote for her, but I'm not going to go over to Carrie Lake since she insulted me and my favorite senator ever. So there still is a McCain effect here in Arizona, even four years on, and we're seeing it in the exit polls, and we're seeing it in the numbers. That's my working theory now. Um, as you know, I'll be continuing to go through exit polls and spreadsheets and try to nail this down further. But that would be the explanation apart from, you know, total fraud or something like that. Thankfully, there's a lot of GOP observers and lawyers on the ground. They've been here since before Election Day, and they are going to chase any kind of rabbit trail to find any kind of shenanigans going on, expose those and get those reversed. Before I move on, because I do have a, another question for you. Uh, the governor's race is basically 1%. Uh, you have the attorney general race, which is less than 1% difference. You have the superintendent of public instruction race, where the Republicans in the lead right now by less than, by basically two tenths of a point. How many of these are going to recount? Boy, I'm thinking probably attorney general will go to recount. That's, um, Abe Hamada, he is the Republican candidate. I actually worked with him 10 years ago at the Goldwater Institute think tank here in Phoenix, and a good guy. I think that'll probably go to a recount because, boy, that's a toss-up right now. And uh, he could end up taking the lead. Uh, he's like 0.2% behind right now. I'm thinking the superintendent of public instruction, that's like our head educator, basically. Right. Um, we got a pretty far-left lady in there now, Kathy Hoffman. Tom Horn is now barely leading her, but the remaining votes to be counted will be majority Republican, and I think he's going to take that and be outside the margin of error with that victory. This is huge since we're a big school choice state, and any kind of Republican we can get near education is a good, good thing. So this is where it gets fascinating. By the way, uh, the Republican, Abe Hamada, is down by 4,000 votes, 4,200 votes to the Democrat, Chris Mays. Tom Horn, the Republican in that superintendent of public instruction race, is ahead by 5,500 votes over the Democrat, Kathy Hoffman. This election, it didn't go the way Republicans thought. We've discussed this before, not the way I wanted it to go as a conservative. But there are stories out of this, whether it's school board, whether it's things like public instruction there in, in Arizona, where every county, every county in New York trended more Republican than than four years ago or two years ago. It's it's incredible. Is there something that the people should be taking from this and how they run campaigns and fight going into 2024, in your view? The most hopeful thing about what you just said is people getting active in their neighborhoods, in their school districts, in their small communities. These people are just, they're on the first rung of the political ladder right now. These people are going to be going higher and higher over the next 10, 20, 30 years. And that is where the hope is for the Republican Party. It worked out great in New York and um, in Arizona too. The top offices might not have gone our way, but the state uh, Republicans hold the state legislature, both houses of that. 
We actually flipped three Democratic U.S. congressional seats. So we're going to finally again have a majority GOP slate of candidates to send back to Capitol Hill. So there are good stories here. Um, but what gives me the most hope is um, the longer I look at politics, the more I realize everything happens from the local level up. And if you can start cha- talking to your neighbors and changing mind once at a time, um, this bodes very well of a party moving forward. Now, the response to that from people angry about, let's say, what they're seeing in Arizona is how in the world does it, it doesn't even matter if you win some things on the local level because you, you've got this fraud. You're never going to get the top line stuff. And the fraud's only going to lead to more fraud, making it more and more impossible. It's a it. I get the people who are angry and I get the people questioning, but some of the results say if the whole thing is fraud, why would they allow any victories uh, uh, across uh, the, the line is what people normally respond with. But this idea of this mail-in balloting stuff, what they can't count Maricopa leads people to say what the bloody heck is the point. And if they're going to commit these acts, which some consider to be fraud, how in the world do you fight it? The same answer still apply? Yeah, I, I think people just need to demand that, uh, and that's what I'll be doing over the next couple of years, demand that the government change things. And there are a lot of Republicans in high places uh, in local, locally, but also the state legislature. GOP controls the state Senate, the state House of Reps, and that's where any change should be made. And I think that Katie Hobbs, if she holds on to this victory, she won by such a tiny sliver of a vote Democrats were very frustrated with her the entire campaign and were complaining about her. Even leftist organs were constantly bashing her for not doing a good job. Um, It's time for the state legislature to steamroll the governor. And uh, I think everybody in the state and both parties wants this thing fixed because we're we're sick of waiting a week or two to find out who won local elections. It's insane. There's no reason for it. John Gabriel from Ricochet.com in the Arizona Republic. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. More coming up. I'm Tony Katz. You know, I've been covering a lot of the election stuff as some of the news is breaking about these uh, races that have taken for forever to count. And don't get me wrong, I'm disgusted. And the people who say, well, that's just proof of fraud, the left is never going to be able to shut those people up. Because they're always going to have an argument. If it takes you a week to count votes in one county, uh, people are going to question why. And they're going to throw every single thing they can at it. And some of it is going to end up being accurate. Incompetence is one of the things they're going to throw. And fraud is is the other thing that they're going to throw. But the, 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 in, in covering this, one of the things I haven't been covering is Biden's trip uh, to uh to the, these Asian nations, to this meeting with Xi Jinping, to why in the world he's wearing the Mao jacket is beyond understanding. I have no interest in trying to show cultural respect. You're an American president. You better damn well act like it. I'm going to get into that tomorrow. I'm going to break. Hold me to it. I got to break that one down because I'm. This is about a a larger problem than just Biden. This is about an unwillingness to recognize who you are at the negotiating table. Biden, it's like it never even crossed his mind. I'll have that tomorrow. I've got more to get to. Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today.